we're a part of this new effort to create small modular hydro. You could think of it a lot like a solar farm or a wind farm where you're creating the same equipment and you're just applying it in a bunch of different scenarios. It's really just about turning the attention of investors and landowners to this green technology. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about small hydropower, the renewable energy resource that could make up a huge share of our energy in the future. My guest today is speaking in her capacity in two roles, as a business owner and as the chair of the Small Hydro Council for the National Hydropower Association. I talk about this issue a lot when it comes to renewables. Renewables is not just wind and solar. In fact, geothermal, renewable natural gas, and hydropower in particular have a much better track record of being available when you need it. In fact, my guest says our existing large hydroelectric fleet are now being called to quickly power up and power down in order to balance out wind and solar's intermittency. As a share of power produced, only wind produces more renewable energy than hydroelectric by a hair. 9 versus 7% versus 3% for solar. The big difference between these three is that hydroelectric is the one energy source no one wants to build anymore. My guest agrees that dams are a bad word, but she points out that small hydro, typically facilities less than 30 megawatts, are hydro's future. New studies from the Department of Energy are about to show that like geothermal, small hydro could produce multiples more energy than they do right now. And the best part is none of it has to be dammed up. My guest says that small hydroelectric potential could come out of any of the billions of gallons being piped around the country daily, whether it be irrigation districts, municipal water supplies, or diverted waterways. We discussed the man-made hydroelectric potential known as conduit hydropower back in episode 46, so it goes to show that when you start looking around, there's tons of opportunities for hidden hydropower. My guest today is Julianne Blanford, General Manager of Newstream, a small hydropower turbine developer based in Connecticut. Newstream has been around since 2014. They specialize in a unique turbine design and have units in the 75 to 250 kilowatt range. Julianne joined the company in 2018. She says the company specializes in maximizing hydropower efficiency. Their turbine designs are able to adjust water flow to dial in the best flow available. In addition to the hardware, this efficiency is gained through a proprietary controller as well. Newstream has also developed a containerized system for setting up hydropower quickly. During the conversation, we also discussed the need to tell the story of hydropower, same as geothermal, and how small hydropower is much different from its bigger brother. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Julianne Blanford. Julianne Blanford, General Manager of Newstream, and Julianne, tell us how Newstream fits in the hydroelectric space. I would start with asking you which hydroelectric space. I think this is a key <laughs> distinction that people outside the industry aren't aware of. Hydro is broken up into large and small. And I think it's really important for us to understand that right now, because when we talk about developing hydro, we're talking about developing small. One of the most critical distinctions that I think your listeners could understand 
understand is that hydroelectric does not equal the Hoover Dam anymore. We have a new class of hydro and it is small hydro and it does not require a dam and can a lot of times fit into a pipe. Yeah. And look, one of the reasons I love to talk about hydroelectric is because there seems to be a lot of misconceptions out there. And I do a lightning round at the end of most episodes and we'll do it on this one. But the most common complaint from my guests about that is that hydroelectric is bad for the environment. New hydroelectric means new dams. That isn't entirely accurate, right? Exactly. The equipment that we make has no requirement for a dam. Right. And so for what I've read, the industry standard is the Kaplan turbine. What makes it special and how are you improving its effectiveness? I think the Kaplan turbine is considered special right now because it's applicable in these lower head, which is smaller hydro applications. It's a really efficient turbine. The design has been around for a really long time. And so it's proven with 100 years of experience. We are improving its efficiency by starting from a better premise in how to control control the turbine itself. We're not approaching the turbine from the same industry way that it has been. We're approaching it actually from more like an aerospace way, where in aerospace, they treat that rocket fuel like it's the most precious thing on Earth. And we're approaching this Kaplan turbine treating water like it's the most precious thing on Earth. And so the controller technology, you says is it maximizes efficiency. I assume all hydroelectric turbines, it can maximize their efficiency, right? They can maximize their efficiency, but I think most turbine operators would, if not all, would freely admit that they're leaving some efficiency out there. Yeah. And in what ways are these turbines inefficient? And how would you, through a controller, be able to get some of that efficiency back? They're inefficient in that, without getting too technical, they're not putting themselves in the most optimal position to get the most energy out of the water. What we do is we hunt and find the most optimum position for the turbine to be in. Help us out with the position, because I think most people think kind of in a locked position and it just kind of spins along one plane, right? So a turbine, you can think of it as a pipe with two fans in it. You've got a fan up front and a fan in the back. The fan in the front is what's going to direct the water onto the fan in the back. And that fan in the back is what's going to create the energy. What you wanna make sure you're doing is for however much water is coming in, you wanna make sure that you're directing it onto that second fan blade in the most perfect position to make it spin at the most optimal speed to get the most energy out of the water. Now, if you think of the blades as fixed, then there's nothing to improve, but our blades are not fixed. Both of those fans can be adjusted and we have developed a turbine that can be adjusted with precision, with very tight adjustments that can be made. By adjusting those blades based on any variable that's going on in the environment, we can adjust to make sure that we're finding the most optimum energy for the water. So you've got a controller, but you're also replacing some of the hardware too? Right. So we've got a controller to extend why it works even better than what's out there is the controller that we have is looking at the power that's being generated in order to understand whether or not we're creating the most energy for the water. So you can think of, you know, if we move the blade and we get more energy, great, we do it again. We keep hunting until we find whatever position will create the most energy. If we make a movement and the energy goes down, well, let's go back. And it's that hunting and finding that makes our Kaplan turbine different. And then the hardware has to be able to support that effort. So we've created a hardware with servo motors and blades that can be moved that precisely and can do that over the life of the turbine without fail. 
So how much of the original turbine do you use? We actually make a Kaplan turbine. We have a family of turbines that we make from 75 kilowatts to 250 kilowatts. But Kaplan turbines are made by a bunch of manufacturers. Yeah, the installed base of Kaplan's is hundreds and hundreds of it in the States. And so could you retrofit a hydroelectric site with a controller like this with your turbines? A lot of the sites that want to use our controller are very large. And if they're very large, then they're subject to now ramping, ramping up and ramping down, which I'm sure you're aware of that because of the intermittent nature of solar and wind coming on the grid, hydro is having to be able to respond to increases and decreases in energy demand in like four seconds. (laughs) It's something crazy like that. That means those blades, are moving up and down to be able to let more water in when more energy needs to be created. And then they're pushing those blades back to make less water in when less energy needs to be created. If you think about that kind of operation, when a machine is ramping up to get to a certain level of energy or ramping down, you can't really optimize. You can only optimize once it's settled out. And so once it settles out for those four seconds or 20 seconds that it's creating that steady amount of energy, that's where our controller can make sure that for those 20 seconds, we're finding the most amount of energy that's possible. Yeah. And look, this idea that hydroelectric is now having to follow load and be part of the reliable (laughs) generation there, definitely not something that a lot of these facilities were designed for. And, you know, I live in the Carolinas. I've been to two of the powerhouses for hydroelectric dams, and both of them were just hitting 100 years old. And of course, the turbines are newer. But, you know, a lot of these facilities weren't designed for this sort of stuff, right? And somehow they're holding up beautifully. I was worried about the same thing. What's going on with the maintenance? How are the blades holding up? How are these turbines holding up? And they are, which is another point for hydro, for large hydro. So the smaller hydro, the stuff you said was like 250 kilowatt? Yes, you can couple it up. It's just like you can have a solar panel that creates a certain kilowatts of energy, but you can put a bunch of solar panels in a field and now you can create megawatts. Our turbines, we create 75 to 250 kilowatts and we can couple them up to make gigawatts of energy. Is there any ambition to build a unit that would be able to handle some of these larger turbines? I believe the ones I saw in North Carolina were up to 30 megawatts for a single turbine. Newstream doesn't have plans to create massive turbines like that. On our small hydro side, we're a part of this new effort to create small modular hydro. The ability to make a standard hydropower site, something that's rapidly deployable. You could think of it a lot like a solar farm or wind farm where you're creating the same equipment and you're just applying it in a bunch of different scenarios. And so the locations I'm thinking of, Julianne, are like the ones I saw in North and South Carolina, you know, these big powerhouses. Is that where these facilities are going? Are you going into the powerhouses and repowering with many more smaller turbines? Where exactly are you working? That would be beautiful. Sometimes it's difficult to fit back into that space, the physical imprint that's there, and it might not make sense. The new deployment is more so focused around irrigation districts, where out west we've got all this channelized water that's already in a channel. There's drops in place, very amenable to having a hydropower site come in and just borrow that water and put it right back into the canal. You can also look at agriculture, industrial drinking water systems, because again, with small hydro, you're not talking about a dam. You're just talking about anywhere that water is up high and needs to come down low, it can be diverted into a machine to capture that energy, whether that be a canal or a river, a river that wouldn't need to be dammed or a pipe. You know, there's pipes all over the country moving around billions of gallons of water a day in the agricultural, industrial, municipal settings. All of that is an application for our turbines. 
Sure. And you are currently chair of the Small Hydro Council for the National Hydropower Association. One more time, yes. just define small hydro. What's the cutoff? It's kind of like distributed generation, right? It's a little bit fuzzy about where that cuts off. What classifies as small hydro and what's new in that space other than you folks? There is no universally accepted definition for small hydro. The DOE, I think, says 20 megawatts. Other places would say 30 megawatts. When I think of small hydro, it's way more about the difference in ownership. You know, large hydro, it's large utilities, large asset managers that own these very, very large assets. When you're talking about small hydro, these are much, much, much smaller operations. At times, they're just trying to get half a meg of energy. And the impact to the environment is is dramatically reduced because there's no dam that has to be developed. There's just a diversion of water. As chair of the Small Hydro, we've created two goals for our agenda this year. Both of them are to serve the private power producer. So this is the private hydroelectric site owner where he's got maybe one, two, three hydroelectric sites. There are some companies that have grouped together way more assets than that, but it's about getting them recognized in state policy and federal policy. We're focusing more on state policy because right now small hydro is treated the same as large hydro and large hydro is not given any favors when it comes to policy. <laughs> oh, right. And that's the one thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, why is there such a problem with hydroelectric being very reliable, very renewable, this misconception about the infrastructure not being there, you having to dam up more stuff you don't. Why is this still such a problem to get over these misconceptions? And, you know, what do you think is working in your favor to kind of get that story straight? I think the truth works in our favor, but going back to why is it a problem? I think it's just about the ability to have the conversation, the ability to push the conversation. I've been in this industry for four years. And what was explained to me by the people that are already in the industry is that back in the 80s, large hydro was already established. It was already cost effective. It was already offering all of these grid services, right? Black start capability, which is incredibly important to the grid. And there are environmental drawbacks. There really are to these dams and no one wants to build a dam again. We have the large hydro in place that we do. And that's really all that we want to do in this country, even though Canada is still building and other countries are still building. So when large hydro and the dams go out of favor because we're not going to go down that path anymore, it's sort of like nuclear in that way. It's like we can't get to the next step of the conversation. Well, can this model be scaled down? Can some of this technology be used? Because it is a really great, consistent energy. And so in the 80s, when large hydro is falling out of favor and we're looking for a way to convert to renewable energy, here comes solar and wind. And solar and wind are sort of seen as these solar over bullets, the perfect solution. If we can just get behind this, then all of our problems are solved. And I think now we're starting to have a more mature conversation about the advantages and disadvantages of each of these and what role and how much of a role each of those should be really able to play. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of influence behind solar and wind. And I think they really push the conversation. It seems like this easy, no drawback solution. And so why not do that? then have to face the complication of dealing with re-understanding hydro or having to really understand the drawbacks of solar and wind. 
Yeah. One of the things I talk about a lot on this podcast is it's not, is this family of technologies good? Is it bad? It's what make it better and how does taking away the negative aspects of a technology realign the math, you know, so that you can pretty much have a balanced portfolio, right? I talk to geothermal folks a lot. We have the same kind of conversation, right? Why no love, right? Right, right. And again, it's like, how much airtime does geothermal get? When you hear about renewable, it's like equivalent to solar and wind, sometimes even natural gas. But it's like, why isn't geothermal in the mix there? I think it's all an education and a push. And I think that's why as the small hydro chair, it's become really somewhat of a political action (laughs) campaign to say, you know, we really have to get in front of key decision makers to explain to them the difference. Because I just think that when we talk to regulators, they have no idea. And I would imagine geothermal would find the same thing. Yeah. You talked about some of the places where you're sticking this. I had a guest back in episode 46. It was Inline. Yeah. Uh, who, Matt Swindle, yeah. Yeah, Matt. Who <laughs> was focused on conduit hydroelectric, essentially capturing energy from municipal water systems. Is that still untapped? And are you working in a space similar to that? That is still untapped. And I know that there's a new study coming out to show how untapped it is between the agricultural, industrial, and municipal settings. It's largely untapped. And really, I think there was a hope that this infrastructure bill with some of the pipes that have to be redone, that we would be able to add in a program of, hey, instead of just redoing the pipes, why don't we look at them for hydroelectric generation? Yeah, New Stream absolutely fits into that space. Our turbines, we're on the larger side, so large drinking water or wastewater facilities. We need a pipe about 24 inches in diameter, which is pretty large. But in those settings, yeah, New Stream's turbines fit. And just to be clear, small hydro, that encompasses conduit. Doesn't matter to you guys whether it's natural or... Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because no matter the setting, the water's got to come through a pipe. So whether it's in a pipe in a drinking water facility or in a pipe that we diverted water off of a river, it's a pipe. Yeah. So Julian, new developing a few lines of business. We talked about the controller. You also have a containerized system. What's been the strongest opportunity for growth? This is always my what's your low hanging fruit question. I would say the lowest hanging fruit. I don't know that anything in small hydro or large hydro right now is low hanging because we really need to level the playing field more so that there's more incentive to invest in small hydro and to invest in large hydro. The lowest hanging fruit that we see is in irrigation districts, mining, tribal lands, Alaska. Alaska has a ton of opportunity up there. There's thousands and thousands of sites that will fit a small hydro type application like what we've got. And it's really just a about turning the attention of investors and landowners to this green technology. What is Alaska using to make their power right now? A lot of diesel. They fly in a lot of diesel. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Julianne, I'm going to finish the lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas. Minimize. Crude oil. Minimize. Nuclear. I like the decentralized idea. Coal. If it had carbon capture. Yeah, if it had carbon capture, it's a bit more acceptable, but I think we're still moving away from it. Weird. Oh. <laughs> Is that a proper lightning round response? Solar. Not convinced it should be a part of the mix. Hydroelectric, you guys. Large hydro, very important energy. Small hydro, most important energy to be developing. Geothermal. Calling all regulators and investors. <laughs> storage. Let's not import a lot of lithium. Electric vehicles. Great if the source is great. Energy efficiency. Sure, let's do it. Absolutely. And finally, <laughs> nuclear fusion. 
Yeah, let's focus on the smaller decentralized ones. I don't think we're going to build any of the bigger ones. All right, Julian Blanford, Newstream, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. That was Julianne Blanford, General Manager of Newstream, a small hydropower turbine developer based in Connecticut. I want to thank Julianne for her time as well as Emily Robertson at Newstream for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 124. Be sure to join us next week when we learn how the financial sector is getting into the energy incubation game for the first time. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.